This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of The Legal Lounge. If you haven't heard the shows in the first and second seasons, there's plenty of content worth a listen, with conversations and advice about divorce, injury claims and business partnerships. There are also some excellent episodes where you'll hear from local charities and learn about the amazing work they do. You can listen to these shows on your podcast app or by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, Stephen Caulfield and Nicholas Playford from the Agricultural Sector Team discuss the legal aspects relating to agriculture cultural property. They illustrate various legal issues using scenarios relating to pop larkin and the Darling Buds of May. Hello, my name's Stephen Caulfield and I'm here with my colleague Nick Playford today to talk to you about agricultural property and certain legal aspects relating to it. So we thought we'd use a bit of fiction from the uh, work of H.E. Bates on the Darling Buds of May to give a background to the aspects of property in agriculture. I'm sure most of you will know the Darling Buds of May series, whether it's the one we've just had on television or the one that was done back in the uh, 80s with Catherine Zeta-Jones and David Jason. Uh, The reason we've picked on this plot is that Pop Larkin had an adversity to lawyers, he had an adversity to tax advisors and an adversity to paperwork. And in one of the episodes, on a Sunday, he's coming back from the local pub having had two pints of good ale and uh, passes out with a small heart attack. The good news, of course, is that it didn't finish him off. Now, if it had finished him off, he hadn't made a will, he hadn't got a partnership agreement, all the property was owned by him, and the family would have been faced with trying to sort it all out. So we're going to work our way through five or six examples and show how changes could be made if Pop had actually gone to see a solicitor. Firstly, the farm in Kent, which comprises 600 acres, was made up of two previous farms. Pop acquired the first in the early 1950s and the second in the mid-1960s. In today's world, the farm would easily be worth 10,000 an acre in respect of the land and buildings alone. Scenario number two, the farm cottages. These are two sets of semi-detached cottages which together may be worth a million pounds. Ideally, these could provide some inheritance for the four daughters not involved in the business. Scenario number three. The two farm buildings let out to tradesmen, one for car repairs and one for carpentry. Obviously, neither in agriculture. Pop never obtained planning permission for these, but they've been used for these purposes for over 10 years. There are no written tenancy agreements, of course. Scenario number four, which is 10 acres of potential development land on the edge of the village. This lends itself to housing and would today be worth in the region of £8 million. It's a good nest egg for the whole family and will help provide more for the four daughters not involved in the farming partnership. Scenario number five is basically how the partnership is run. The farm business is run by Pop, Ma, Marriott, Montgomery and Oscar. And they're all partners in the business and shown on the accounts, but there's no partnership agreement. None of the land is on the business accounts. So starting with number one, Nick, Pop's obviously got this farm of 600 acres in Kent and it's, it's, it's worth 10,000 acre at least so we're up to 6 million according to my maths. The good news here if he had have died there would have been agricultural property relief around negating any inheritance tax that he would have had to have paid on the land and the farm buildings themselves. The two farmhouses as I see it are both proper farmhouses 
they're not mansions and they should qualify for large amounts of inheritance relief from the same point of view. So it wouldn't be a total disaster for the whole family if he had have died from that point of view. It wouldn't be a total disaster from the from the family's point of view in terms of inheritance tax. Obviously, <laughs> Pop's loss would be a bit of a loss because he is the main rudder steering the farm business. Not all of that knowledge or very little of that knowledge has been imparted to the next generation. The two farms were bought in the 1950s and 60s and the farm in the 1950s would not have been registered whilst the 1960s farm would have been registered. The scenario is based in Kent and Kent is one of the earlier counties which triggered the first registration necessity. Obviously one of the problems you've got is the 1950s land and farmhouse. You've lost the title deeds so we need to reconstruct those title deeds to make sure that you can give good ownership of the farmland. Well, Pop didn't like going to solicitors very much, did he? And he probably left them with the solicitors because he didn't want to pay to go back and see them. So we would have to do some research, but assuming that we won't find them, what have we got to do to reconstitute it? Reconstitution would involve taking all reasonable steps you can to try and recover the deeds. So you would need to go back to those solicitors where you think you left them and made sure they carried out a good check of their records and and they definitely haven't got the deeds. It's also worth checking over the various lenders over the time, and, and since the 1950s, which Pop has had, and make sure the banks haven't got the deeds either. They're the two probably the most common places where the deeds might be. Failing that, it's quite easy to do a statement of truth to justify Pop's ownership of the land to enable a registration to take place. Because he's been there for so long. And you've got various additional statements which other people are going to be willing to give to verify his ownership as well. So if the accountants were talking to Pop, we're not going to advise on tax planning. Do you think they'd say to him, now is the time to take the opportunity to pass some of the land on to the next generation, those involved in the partnership? I think the accountants would say generally that it's never too early to start preparing and now would be a good time to pass on some land to the next generation, given his recent heart attack. And who knows what what may come in the future for him. We as solicitors would would be guided by the accountants' advice, but we'd work with them to ensure that the best results are achieved for Pop and and the family. It was bought as two farms. If he was to carve some of the land out now for the children, was there any difficulties in trying to do that spring to mind? I think the fact that it's bought as two separate farms are helpful. They should all have their own rights and easements set out within their own conveyances. That's part of the conveyancing process, which hasn't really changed fundamentally since the 1950s. In an ideal world, they would be carved out separately and without much reference from one to the other. But it's always worth just bearing in mind what has happened since the 1950s and 60s and how things have changed over that time on the farm. For instance, the water supply may be one whole system, which then needs to be divided up a bit better to suit two farms. Yes, and also say you had one drive servicing both farms, then there's got to be joint maintenance. Absolutely. I think in a perfect world, given that they were separate conveyances to start with, one would want to see a separate driveway for each farmhouse. That would be the ideal situation. You don't don't particularly want a large farmhouse with a shared driveway if it could be avoided and in this situation it should be avoidable. Yes, on um, winding up number one, I'm not doing the accountant's job on this, but if Pop did decide to give some 
land away in his lifetime, there would be some capital gains tax, which should be offset by what's known as holdover relief. But we're not going to go down that road at the moment. Shall we move on to number two? So is this a good chance to to give away for the farm cottages to, to the next generation? Three of them have got a short, short old tenants in, and one's got a farm worker in. There could well be capital gains tax, which might not be able to be held over, I don't know. But uh, we've got these tenants to think about. And really, if you were to do a sale, one would want to remove the tenants to ensure that vacant possession is achieved and the maximum sale price could be achieved. With the transfer to the daughters, it doesn't matter so much if there's a, a tenant in there, does it, Stephen? I don't think so. With the agricultural tenant in the one cottage, it might reduce the capital gains tax a bit if there's any to pay. But again, if you were to transfer the cottages to the daughters, you're creating an oasis within the farm itself. You're going to be a bit concerned about strangers coming in in the future, living in these cottages in your backyard and not creating a nuisance. So what would be your proposals on that? If the cottages are integrated into the main farm, then it's important that they minimise disruption within the farm to the best extent possible from the perspective of the farm. Assuming we transfer them to the daughters or to anyone, you'd be looking to have a a firm set of covenants limiting what the occupiers or owners of the cottages can do in the future, but not so restrictive as to really diminish the price completely, but to make sure that our farming business isn't impacted at all. And then also we might... In, in different times, wish to buy these cottages back because they are so integral to the farm. In that case, I might suggest a preemption agreement to enable the farm to buy the cottages back, should they so wish, which would be at market value. Open market value at the time. Shall we move on to number three? Pops let out two farm buildings with no leases to two very reliable local chaps who uh, he's known for many years. And uh, one sorts out his carpentry for him and the other sorts out his vehicles for him. It works very well. They will actually have rights of protection, I think. Yeah, I think the first thing to note here is that no one's unhappy with this arrangement, but also no one would really advise that it's a good idea. And actually, Pop's done it off his own back. He and the occupiers of these garages are perfectly happy with that current arrangement. So there's no need to go too drastic to change things. The answer to your question is that the tenants would have a protected tenancy. That doesn't actually really matter so long as the arrangement continues and and pop and, and they are happy. However, this exercise is to try to tie up loose threads. And this probably does constitute a loose thread. So I would be encouraging pop to suggest to his uh, tenants, and there is a lot of goodwill here, that they may wish to surrender their existing tenancy and to move on to a more conventional business tenancy, which is contracted out of the Landlord's 1954 Act, which would enable a more satisfactory way of ability to proceed with these garages. And if it's contracted out, then the tenants don't have very lengthy security. That's right, yeah. Which would be the case at the moment. Yeah, that's right. The, 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 The 1954 Act if it's not contracted out, it gives additional rights to the tenant where it's basically much harder to remove them. With the 54 Act, you've got compensation for the tenants if you've got to get them out and things like that. Where if you exclude the lease, you can exclude the compensation, but I wouldn't bother with that, I don't think. Let's move on to number four then. This does look like a real gold mine here for Pop and the family. We have our 10 acres of potential development land on the edge of the village. What would you suggest we do here, Stephen? In today's world, 
I think you'd be looking at a lot of housing that could be built on there with permission, but it, it is in Greenbelt. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the day because the government's looking to build a lot more housing in the country. So uh, you could end up with many millions of pounds. If they were developing uh, these acres for eight houses an acre, something along those lines. If it was developed while it's in Pop's name, if their planning permission was obtained, then it was Pop's estate that would go up in value inordinately and there would be a lot of inheritance tax to pay on that. So I would say... It ought to be moved, the land should move to the next generation before any planning permission is obtained. That would be my first move on that. How we move it to the next generation, there's different ways. You could, for instance, physically transfer the land to the four daughters who aren't involved in the partnership, perhaps, with some form of overage and clawback to make payments back to the family if they are successful in getting planning permission and selling. But my own instincts are to go for a trust for the family. So uh, the land is moved into a family trust who all share in it. And that trust is the vehicle for going ahead and getting a promotion agreement and a development agreement. And there's a drive from them all to do that. And hopefully that would go ahead. Do you have, say, two of the trustees leading the, the scheme? You'd want them, the family involved as much as possible, presumably the, the older ones. Pop, Ma, Mariette. Montgomery? No, sometimes it's too many cooks to spoil the broth, though. Uh, it's, it's a case of whether you can have leadership within a minimal amount for the greater trust. Well, you'd, perhaps it'd be best if their solicitor, Nick Playford, came in as a trustee to sort of combine it all together. To give some steerance to it. Yes, and that would help. That would help. Um, perhaps their accountant as well. <laughs> Moving on to number five. The farm business is run by Pop, Mar, Marriott, Montgomery and Oscar. But there's no partnership agreement. Presumably you suggest this would be a partnership agreement, Stephen. I would indeed. The banks would like to see a partnership agreement as well, but most of all the partners should have one. The law governing partnerships, if you haven't made a partnership, it goes back to 1890, I think, called the Partnership Act. It's law as old as that governing what goes on. So if one of them were to die, automatically the partnership terminates and that brings a lot of ramifications for taxes and of partnership accounts. And it's far better if you have a partnership agreement saying that in the event of death, the partnership continues for the survivors and the business continues without a change. So that would be my first thought on it. I think you're right. I think if, if the partnership ends under the Partnership Act 1890, which is surprisingly relevant piece of legislation, albeit with some flaws in today's farming, then the partnership ceases and that creates an awful amount of aggravation and, and concern at a time where that's already the predominant emotion. So the last thing you really want to see is the bank suspending your facilities when the partnership is struggling anyway to carry on and you've lost, as I alluded to earlier, one of the key bits of knowledge within the partnership as well in, in a death. And I think the banks really are looking to make sure there is a partnership agreement and also tenancy agreements, licences, to have everything documented, not least to protect their own security and lending on the farm which they've made. On partnership, it's also worth thinking about the fact that it might not be death. Somebody might simply want to retire or perhaps Mariette has had enough of putting up with her father and wants to set up business elsewhere. It's just, if one wants out, then the remainder's 
can buy out the share of the leaving partner at an agreed value. And hopefully the clause also provides that they don't have to be paid out straight away, that you can spread that payment over a number of years, three years to perhaps 20 years, depending on how much the the business can afford. And of course, that that increases the viability of the farm to continue its day-to-day activities. You don't want to be suddenly paying out a couple of hundred grand to pay out a partner who's no longer invested in the partnership when resources are scarce. Another one, I don't, I, I don't know the most about this, but insolvency of a partner. That's often the case where if a partner goes insolvent, when the remaining partners can acquire that share from the insolvent partner. And that's quite important because it keeps away trustees in bankruptcy. Absolutely right. It's a big thing for us. We're red hot on partnerships. We would fully suggest that they do sort out a partnership agreement straight away and run it by the accountants as well and liaise with them and, and make sure it meets with their approval as well. Yes, because it has to embody what's in the, the existing accounts, which will be de- being done. And there again, you have landowning partners, non-landowning partners in the decent agreements as well. So it's a good chance to tie it all together with what we've achieved so far with all the farm assets and buildings. I think that's a good point to tie it all together. If I remember correctly, Pop Larkin had a bar in his sitting room which was the shape of a galleon. And if anybody visited, they had to go to the bar at the end and sit round it and have some of the best whiskey. So shall we do that now, Nick? It's a fitting end. Let's do that. Thanks to Stephen and Nick for lending their expertise. More proof that lawyers don't bite. If you need legal help from either of them, please get in touch through lblaw.co.uk. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialist for an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversations helpful, please remember to follow, review and share the episodes. And don't forget to go back and check out some of the shows from the other seasons. Speak to you soon. That was The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.